Yes, we are back. Been a while, but it's episode 17 coming down the path for you, CB and Zach, in the house. And not only are we back, but are the tribe back? Tribe Question is, mark. Tribe is back. For now. Cautiously back. Like, schedule favors them, and we'll get into that deeper here as we go with this topic today. But we, we've heard about it for weeks now. That the schedule was going to shape up heading into the All-Star break to get somewhere where you can relatively make a run at just cutting down that lead in a division. And more so, we've had this mindset of focusing on the wild card, but it's realistic to think that you could cut down this division lead. Obviously, depends on what the Twins are going to do coming up in the end of the next week or so. But getting this down to around six, maybe five games and making this, I mean really putting the clamps on this Minnesota team down because that first series, when you come back from the break, is at home, a three-game stint with the Twins, and you can really turn that thing on its head. That series coming out of the break is absolutely huge. I mean, at the beginning of the season when the Twins got off to their hot start, you kind of thought, okay, that's going to be an important series. But the way things have started started to develop over the last few weeks, that is a very, very, very important series. There's a lot of, I mean, let's, let's be honest. You had to keep both your options open. While, you, yes, you would like to cut down on that lead in the division, you also got to keep an eye on this uh, wild card chase. And, you know, with the Rays starting to look like how they have, I mean, they just lost two or three from the Twins. This is a team that could regress to the mean. It's kind of expected, especially with the injuries that they're enduring right now. Both of those spots, in my opinion, in the wild card are wide open. Yeah, we're only... One and a half back of Tampa for the first first wild card position, and Tampa's coming off of a ten game stretch where they've only won three games. They're falling off. The Twins have started to fall off. And here's their next couple of series. I mean, they have the Rangers coming up next, so that's going to fit right into the mix of this conversation about what the wild card's going to look like. That's a three game stretch. If you know the Rangers come in and take that thing, it's. A- it's a whole new ball game heading into that second half of the season where it's just between maybe four or five teams, the wild card's going to be up in the air. I can't remember a year where it's been that wide open heading into the second half of the season. You kind of been able to nail down about two, maybe three teams that had a realistic chance, but it feels wide open. Well, I mean, honestly, with the Indians, it's been like two completely different teams from what we saw a month ago, starting a month and a half ago, to what we've seen the last couple weeks when... Granted, when the schedule kind of turned into their favor. But, I mean, you we've had offensive explosions over the last few weeks. And you start off, you put up 13 against the Tigers, 8 against the Tigers, 10 against the Rangers, twice, 7 against the Tigers, 8 against the Tigers. You're, we're scoring runs, which is something our offense, we did not really see very well. Like, the, our offense has looked absolutely terrible at times. And one of my, we'll call him my, one of my favorite players, Kipnis, has come out of his shell. And dare I say he's, he's very close to breaking over uh, and hitting over 250. He's really close. He's hovering in that 240 range right now. The biggest thing I've seen in him, and I know we love to hate on him, but he's making adjustments, which is really hard in the Ty Van Berkley era of this squad in terms of hitting is unprecedented because one thing that Ty's always said is we're not going to change things we haven't changed it in over nine years but he's actually changing his approach at the plate one of the things I've noticed since he's gotten on this hot streak 
is he's more open to taking the ball and putting it oppo field. Most teams are running shifts on him, hovering over on the right side, and he's been going over. Most of his hits recently have been opposite field, unless if you're counting that walk-off home run he had where he just got behind it. And I've never, he's one of the guys that plays second base that I've never actually been able to see just get a hold and turn on a pitch as well as he does. I'll give him credit with that. When he gets a hold of one, man, I think can fly. Yeah. Well, when was the last time we've seen Kipnis hit as well as he is over the last few weeks? It, it, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay. I mean, do we want to go back to the World Series year? Sure. Okay. So just with that, that's a few years ago. Okay, so we're now... So he, he's been that bad batting, and you brought up Van Berkleo, because I was going to bring this up. So Kipnis said that he adjusted something with his hands uh, coming out of a couple weeks ago, and he has been hitting the ball very well since. Did Kipnis do this on his own? Or was Van Berkleo say, saying something? Because if Kipnis did this on his own, what the hell is Van Berkleo doing? Well, He's been bad for two years. If Van Berkleo's comments tell you anything, it's most likely that it was his own doing. He's been bad for two years, and you would think that you would want to spend more time trying to figure out and getting someone that you're paying $14.5 million. You would think that you would want him to have his swing figured out a little bit. You know, it's not just him as an example. We're talking about all these guys that have been coming up in the ranks, our AAA guys, guys like Oscar Mercado, who's quite honestly our, you know, our minor league system, our developers, our scouts, and when have been saving people like Ty's ass in terms of yes. developing guys, yes, because they're coming up pretty much well above their expectations at that point when they're making it to the majors, at least what scouts were thinking when they came into the system. So they're already exceeding expectations, saving his ass in return. It's one of those things where I can't really give any of this positive regression, is what I like to call it, what this offense is going through right now, any credit to him and making adjustments with players. At this point, we don't know for sure. And the only thing we have on record to even prove anything is that he says he's unwilling to make changes. Yeah, honestly. I mean, it's that's all we have to show for other than maybe he's doing something with Kitness. But do we know for sure? Obviously no, not. Not at all. Well, and plus two, I saw video of Lindor, as the pitcher is in his windup, Lindor shuffles his feet forward a good six, eight inches, and then gets a hold of a ball. I don't think I've ever seen a player, as the pitcher's in his windup, actively move up and then swing. Yeah, that, like, was, that was unique. And I, I, I think that's just more of who Lindor is yes, as a player, and it's his uniqueness and his baseball IQ. There's no coach out there that's improving that on him. And quite honestly, I, how many guys are you going to see do that? Not very many. Not very many at all. I think that was just unique to him. I can't give Ty the no, I'm not, I'm props not, on I'm that. not giving him any credit at all. But it was really interesting to watch. That's a really good point. I know we're going all over the place here, but we might as well, since we were just talking real quick about guys coming up and being ready for the expectations of the majors, we have to talk about the guy that we've been clamoring about not just you and myself, but everybody on social media, it seems like. But Bobby Bradley finally made his debut with the Tribe and, you know, pretty good first at bat. We saw a little bit in the past couple of games of what to expect with him. Unfortunately, strikeout rate is a big thing with him. I think he was striking out over 26% in the minors, something close to that. So he's going to obviously suffer from that, especially pitchers are going to learn to throw breaking balls in on him. That appears so far that I've seen to be his biggest downfall. But, but they can't always do it. You either have to adjust to it, which I think if we have a good batting coach, 
or hitting coach. We'll find out at some point if that's the case. He'll make the adjustment. But, I mean, this guy has everything we've been looking for. The raw power. The ability to hit to all parts of the park. He put that oppo field on his first at bat and damn near put it off the wall. I mean, this is what we've been looking to infuse into the bottom of our lineup. I'm pretty sure he was leading all of minor league baseball with home runs. I think it was uh, like 26. It was it was, it was somewhere mid-20s, around there. Yeah. Mid 20s, with halfway through the season. I mean, that, that's a good year for a lot of people. What he put up in less than half of a year for you know just stats and kind of comparing rookie right now, Pete Alonso for the Mets has 27 at this point, and I mean he's considered like over the top, like one of the most powerful rookies we've ever seen in baseball. Like he's on pace to be in the top three of home runs for rookies. So he was doing that at a minor league level. Yes, obviously not the same level of pitching, but if he has that type of potential with his bat, I mean, you're you're talking about somebody that can completely shift that part of your lineup. Well, I mean, also too, when we play the Tigers, that's just like playing a minor league team. (laughs) Well, I think they they went to eight straight losses today as of this recording. Big yikes. Yeah, that team's... Poor Tiger Town. We got to talk about this AL real quick. So the American League is a dumpster fire. I heard Jason Stark today, he does a lot of work over at the Athletic, saying that there's a couple of historic things that are on pace right now. So in the AL, you could see four teams hitting 100 losses this year. Combined between the Royals, the Tigers, the Orioles, and I believe the Blue Jays are also in the running for this. That is disgusting. In turn, you have... On pace, all three divisions have an, a 100-win team. Would both be first time in the history of baseball. That is disgusting. This is why the the AL is so lopsided. We've been sitting here before the show for about 20 to 30 minutes just looking at schedules of teams that are in the hunt for the wild card and also the, the divisions in the AL. And all of their schedules look awful because if you look closely, they're all playing these bottom feeders that are just making the race to the bottom. I mean, the Royals and Tigers, you saw them littered at the end of the schedule for the Twins. And then you go to the Yankees, they were littered with Blue Jays and Orioles at the end because of this new initiative by the Major League Baseball Scheduling Committee to backload schedules with divisional games. Now, obviously, that didn't work out very well for the Indian schedule this year because they play both the Phillies and the Nationals in the last two weeks of the season, which kind of sucks, but it's this new initiative where they're packing in these so-called, what they think are meaningful games at the end of the year, but because the the league itself is so lopsided, this is going to be like a cakewalk for most of these teams going to the end of the year. They're really not going to get tested. There are four teams right now that are, at the very least, 23 and a half games back. They're the four teams that you named that were... Uh... On watch for 100 losses. And give credit to the AL West. I mean, hell, yeah. the Mariners were at one point three games in first uh, in front of the second-place team in that division have fallen all the way back to 14 and a half games back. But that's your last-place team in that AL West. Didn't they have a ridiculously high run differential? Oh, yeah. They had they were close to setting the record for consecutive, consecutive games with a home run before they obviously traded away everybody. And now the Mariners are 58 Minus 58 in the run differential. Well, their pitching is horrendous. I think we can all establish well, that. Well, yeah, but like they, their run differential at the beginning of the year, though, was so insane. It was so high. Yeah, I mean, they had Edwin, obviously. They also had Jay Bruce. Uh, Ryan Healy was hitting really well back then. Daniel Vogelbach, the big 
you got to look at the guy. He looks like a polar bear. I love him. <laughs> he uh, he was also hitting bombs everywhere. But now they've just complete. I mean, they've only sold uh, Edwin and Jay Bruce out of that mix. But at the same time, they're just making an initiative to get speed guys on the bases, which I mean, obviously, isn't going to turn out very well if they can't get on base physically. But that alone, that division has three teams within nine games of the, or, or yeah, three yeah. games with, or three teams within nine games of the Astros. So at least that one's a little bit competitive. But just how lopsided the Central is, along with the AL East, the narrative of the AL Central just being a dumpster fire isn't necessarily all the case anymore. Now it's just the entire league itself. Yeah, the fire that started in the AL Central is now spread to all of the American League. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, go, go look at the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are trying to make a big fire sale. Uh, the Orioles are in probably like a 10-year rebuild at this point. I mean... 10-year minimum. Minimum. And honestly, if we're being honest, though, the Royals, too. Yeah, but... The Tigers have a little bit coming up that I like. I know Casey Mize, the pitcher they took first overall in last summer's draft. He's going to be a really good one. He should find his way up pretty soon. They draft pretty well, so I think the Tigers will have a little bit of a resurgence. My prediction of the White Sox making some type of resurgence and not being a 100-loss team is looking pretty good at this point. They're only four games under 500. Still not a second-place team that I thought, so unfortunately, going to lose that one, most solid, likely. Solid middle of the pack, though. Solid middle of the pack. But it's like there's a very fine separation between the top of the AL and the bottom. And the middle, the middle section where you got teams like the Athletics, the White Sox, and I, I gotta throw the Red Sox in there right now because there's just a huge separation between that middle and the top, but there's not really a large separation between them and the bottom. Well, I, okay, I take that back. If you're really looking at the bottom, bottom, there's a huge gap. There's yes. a huge gap between that, then that middle, and then that top. It's a weird league, man. I I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I mean, there is but between the top three teams, there is then a 10, 10 game gap. So there's the White Sox at fourteen back, and then it goes all the way down to twenty four and a half back, or 24, 24, 24 and a half between Kansas City and Detroit, and then going to the East, Boston's nine back, and then it jumps all the way down to Toronto being twenty three and a half back. That's just absolutely insane how there is that much of a difference in all of these divisions. Like, Grant, there'll be a couple divisions in both the American and National League, maybe like one each, maybe three, where you'd see something something like that. But no, it's it's ridiculous that how, how widespread this is now. I mean, I, I see this affecting, honestly, I'll call it three, four divisions right now, and it's only going to get worse after the trade deadline? Well, a lot of what you're seeing is in the AL, you're seeing a lot of teams just race to the bottom. Because I want to say, meanwhile, if you go and look over in the NL, you have no team further than 19 and a half games out. I mean, it's not terrible, but also at the same time, the Dodgers are absolutely just running away with the West. Yeah, the West wasn't really strong this year. I mean, the Rockies just were not going to be as hot as they were last year. Padres are still about a year or two away. I think if they can stay above 500, that's a win for them this season. Uh, we got to talk about this NL Central because this is an absolute dogfight right now. Your last place team, six and a half games out. I Okay, I wish there was an in-state rivalry, whether you can compare it to the Browns and Bengals. I wish it was that real. So much so Ohio. that... Come on. The Ohio man. Cup. If you ask five people on the street in both cities what that is, could you think they would name it? 
No. But exactly. also, like, there's the Battle of the Battle of the uh, the Barge. Okay, you and I know about that. I don't know how many normal okay, people well, do. Okay, well, we need. There just needs to be more diehard fans then. I don't think that's the issue. The problem is, is that baseball is so hard to push rivalries that I'm going to do it by myself. I hate the Reds. I will say that proudly. I want your team to lose every single baseball game. I want you to go 0 and 162. But your team is actually a little bit promising right now. I mean, so you're six games under 500. I think run differential, they're in the green, correct? They're plus 40. Yeah. Meanwhile, Milwaukee, at one game back at the Cubs, in second place, is negative six. Yeah, they've had some pitching issues. They, they just don't have a real ace. I mean, Brandon Woodruff has come out of nowhere, and he's probably their best guy, if that tells you anything. Now, this Reds team, I, I keep on hearing from everybody saying that there's a chance that this team could be buyers at the deadline. And What are you buying with? You I don't know. because You're only set to sell based off of the way that you went about your offseason with signing all these one-year deals. The only way you would be buyers is that you're just completely going all in. I mean, like, completely going all in. You think you have a chance to make it all, all the way to the World Series. Can you go all in in last place? That's the thing. Because people think that it's not really that big of a hurdle. Six and a half games in this division? Six and a half games in itself, no. That is not a big issue. What is the issue is that there are three teams between you and the Cubs. That is the issue. Because it's not just, oh, if... Okay, so for example, I don't feel that uncomfortable about the Indians being eight games back because there's no one between us and the Twins. It's just, okay, Twins lose, Indians win, we gain a game. With that, you need four teams to lose and you to win for you to make up ground in that division. What are they in the wild card race? I think that's a better question because I, I think there's going to be at least one team from the wild card in this division. The Reds are... Fourth from the bottom at five and a half back. So they're five and a half back. Okay. So the Brewers are probably that last wild card spot. Uh, Makes sense. No. Well, Brewers and Phillies are tied. I tied. Okay. The way that MLB at bat the app is presenting it makes it appear that well, they have Milwaukee, the same. They have the same record. Same, same record and everything, but it it it's making it look like Milwaukee has the first wild card spot. I'm not sure what all tiebreakers go into. I'm sure we'll figure it out once it gets closer, if that's the case. I didn't expect to talk about the Reds a lot today, but it, they just I just hate them so much. So I want to go in and tell you why you would be dumb enough to buy for this season. Let's think about it. Your one-year deal, guys. Let's just go on a list. We have Yasiel Puig, who's actually peaked a little bit. He's starting to come back, positive regression. I think he's about north of 220. Stealing a lot of bases, which I was not really expecting. Um, you also have Alex Wood, who has not even pitched in a regular season for you yet. I don't know when he's going to come back. Is he even going to be worth a damn when he gets there? We'll see. Uh, you had Sonny Gray. Event- Originally, you had Sonny Gray on a one-year deal. I think they did get him signed to an extension. He's a decent... He's regressed to maybe about a, like a third guy in line in the starting pitching room. Pretty decent starting pitching three with Castillo, Rourke, and Sonny Gray. But it's not really something I see winning out in the playoffs. Like, starting pitching is so important with your top three at minimum going into the playoffs. I don't know if I can build on top of that. Like, is there something out there in that market you're going to go get and go compete? I don't see that. I also think their back end of their bullpen, 
middle bullpen is pretty decent, but the guy, Rossiel Iglesias, looks shaky as hell closing for them right now. And I think he just got blown up the other night out in L.A. A lot of young talent. You got Eugenio Suarez at third base. Pretty good. Just signed him to a nice long deal. Five years, I, I think. Uh, you got Nick Senzel playing out in center. Pretty decent. I like him in the leadoff role. I, I really see a lot of things that I like about this Reds team. But if you're making, if you're buying with the intent of competing this year, I think it's a massive mistake. Because I don't think you're that close. I don't think you're that close to really compete for the title now. And those one-year deal guys are gone after the year. Yasiel Puig is not coming back. They're not paying on the money he wants. Alex Wood's not coming back. Uh, I, I, I don't know what buying would accomplish for this team other than buying controllable players. If they're going to buy, they have to buy controllable guys for multiple years. Kind of like what the Indians did with a guy like Andrew Miller. Somebody that's, you know, at the peak is on a controllable deal for a right price and a pretty good pay tag that it's not going to really cost him a lot in a small market like that. Something like that. But if they're buyers, and I mean, they're absolutely going for it at the deadline, I think it's a crazy move. Yeah, I I don't see it happening. I mean, if I feel like if they were in a better position than last place, then I could maybe see it. Because I, I said that coming into this year, that the Reds might actually surprise and be contenders. But also, I don't know if I can... Granted, you're only six and a half back, but I can't consider you a contender if you are in last place in your division. So I, I, I see no point in trying to be a buyer. Because I, I, I was under the understanding of, okay... First half of the year, you're going to try and sell tickets with all these first-year guys, or one-year guys. And then you just sell and kind of jumpstart your uh, your farm pro, farm, uh, farm system and then just kind of jumpstart this whole uh, the whole rebuild. But I don't think you can – I don't know if they were actually anticipating being able to compete with what they have. I feel like they were just more or less trying to sell tickets. I'm on the verge of thinking they're going to buy for controllable guys going forward. It's just going to depend on the positions they need. Um, man, that I understand. The deals that you make in place for big contracts, long ones, are all about what their value is at the time you sign them. But that contract with Joey in the back end right now is looking so hard to look at. That's 25 mil. All the the next, I think the next four years. 2023 is the last year he'll be making 25 mil. That's incredible. He's stealing. I mean, I get it. He made that value early on in the contract. Right. I totally understand that. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about contracts is it's totally backloaded to the point where he can just suck and just rake in the cash. Yep. And good for him. I know he's already technically earned that money in the eyes of, you know, just normal baseball economy. But that's pretty hard when you're trying to deal with your your payroll each and every year. I mean, that's your standard contract, though, anymore for for your top-level major league players. Like, it's always just going to be backloaded. Yeah, I mean, go look at Miggy Cabrera right now. He's raking in that type of cash for, I think, a little bit longer than Votto is, and he can barely move. Hey, still push him out in his wheelchair, right? <laughs> you might have to. I I don't know if there's a closet for that in his, uh, his contract or not, but it might be an interesting... Situation. Last thing I want to touch on real quick for this baseball segment is the NL East. You got the Braves over there. 
Trying to make a trying to make a little bit of separation over there with the Phillies there in uh, second. Now the Phillies have clearly not been what everybody was expecting coming into the season. Although some might say, like myself, that Bryce Harper, I, I get what he brings to the team and the marketability and whatnot, but man, you're paying a lot of money for a guy that's going to hit below 250. Yeah, a lot of money. I mean, it was. And honest- I think here's my thing for that city. I think it's 100% worth it. I think it's 100% worth it to bring in that guy and ignite your fan base. I mean, it ignites your fan base, but also like his on on field production. Is- I don't think he's that good. For that money, I don't he, think he's that good. He hasn't been that good in a couple years. He's shown potential to be that good. He hasn't shown it lately. He hit under 225 last year. I know. Last year was terrible. And honestly, he wasn't that hot when I was uh, when I was working with the Nationals. He did hit one absolute moonshot that I was in awe of. But that was it. Other than that, he didn't impress me. You pay for his potential. What he comes to the plate, anything can happen. That and what he what marketability he brings to your team. That that's a big part of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Baseball is one of those sports where the biggest thing is just the marketability. He is one of the biggest marketability guys out there. You can make so much money just off of his image and branding. I mean, he's a he's a fiery guy, or he has potential to be very fiery. He's got all his hair flips and everything. Oh, man, I was too hard on him. He hit 249 last year. My bad. He's hitting a measly 246 this year, though. Ah, the season's young. Is that right, Red Sox fans? Yeah, but here's the thing that's going for him, though. His on-base percentage is a little bit above average for his type of guy. He's on-base about 364. Slugging's a little bit low for him. For a guy like that, I want to see above 500. He's slugging 457. If you're above... Now, OPS, I get it. If anything above 800 on your OPS is pretty decent. He's at 821. That's great. But not for a guy that's getting paid as much as he is. You need to see a lot more, in my opinion. I, I, I understand the statistics tell you to be, you know, somewhat pleased with what he's doing. He's not exceeding expectations, but he's like meeting the the statistical expectations for somebody in this position. But it still feels like it's underwhelming. Well, I mean, honestly, unless you have a career year every year with the <clears throat> with the contract that he signed, though, it's it's gonna feel like he's not necessarily earning that contract. And when you sign something that big, you have to, if you actually want to earn it statistically, you're going to have to be putting out career year after career year. It does hurt him that the previous season beforehand, he, I mean, very, very good in 2017. He had, well, he hit 319 on base 413, OPS over 1,000. So th- this is a big dip. And he still made that money going into this past year with the season he had last year, all based off of potential. I do think he needs to pick it up, though. Yes, I don't think I would have paid the money, and that's why I said he's not worth it. I don't think he was worth the money they paid him. But you still need to see him get back to 2017, or in 2015, he did the same thing. Yeah. That division itself is going to be very interesting to watch, now with the Braves picking up Dallas Keuchel. I guess at this point, since this is probably going to be the last one until the break. Going into the break, what is your playoff scenario looking like? For the AL or NL or Just both? go all, just across the board. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give I'm going to give the Twins the division in the AL Central. I am too. 
So then I am Yankee Yankees are gonna have the East. I'm gonna say Houston's gonna Houston's a World Series champion team. They're going to figure it out and they're gonna win their division. And I'm gonna give the wild card to Houston or to uh, Tampa, the second wild card. So Cleveland once again will host a wild card game. I was gonna have the same exact scenario. Well, yeah, yeah with Tampa, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do that. Yep. And can we can we see Danny Salazar pitching? I he, heard a rumor that he's getting ready to come to Columbus. We gotta go to that. We we can't not go to but that. How is, I, I heard it like on the back channel, but I haven't seen anything from anything official from the team or maybe an insider that said like he's progressing to the point of a rehab assignment. But that's kind of the rumors I've been hearing. I mean, honestly, too, he's gonna have to move his whole life all the way across the country. He's been living in Arizona for the last right. three years. But I mean, let's be honest though. The shock that that just implies I mean, anything he can give to the team is a bonus with that ninety seven if he can get back up to ninety seven, ninety eight miles per hour on his fastball. Man. Uh yeah, no, in the AL I had also the Yanks, the Astros, twins, all with the divisions. I have Yankees earning the top crown home field. I had the Tampa Bay Rays and Indians in the wild card. Indians with the home field in that. Indians win that home game, but then lose in the divisional round to the Yankees. Yankees facing, I'll have Houston, then I'll have Houston over the Yankees. I have Houston as my representative in the AL. Heading on over into the NL, I have the Braves taking the division, I have the Cubs taking the Central. I have, obviously, the Dodgers in the West, my two wildcard teams. I have the Brewers and the Phils. I have Brewers taking home field in that. Brewers win that game. They would move on to face, I believe, would be the Cubs. You have I have the, the Cubs. You have, you have the Cubs ever taking uh, the Dodgers. No, 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 no. I read it wrong. I read it wrong. No, I have Brewers going to face the Dodgers. Dodgers win that. Cubs and Braves, I have Cubs taking that. Dodgers, Cubs, I have Dodgers. And then I have Cody Belly and the Dodgers over top getting revenge on Houston at the midway point in the season. Let me know how that World Series goes. I'm going to be busy watching the Browns. I I will be too. I want zero part of that. The minute my team's out of the baseball playoffs, I'm out. I'm checked out. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I... I mean, we got more important things to deal with. Like well, now we do. Baker throwing to Odell, and we've come a long way from the days <laughs> where there was the bed sheet that says, "At least we still have Lindor over the edges at First Energy Stadium." Uh, enjoy him, <laughs> enjoy him. Oh, you know I will. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about that team in brown and orange. What to expect? We have training camp coming up in a month or so. What are we looking for in? a lot of our role players, skill players, and what are we to expect about this defense? They're not getting a lot of love, and we're not really hearing about them in the media. He fires. Kipnis with a drive to deep right. There she goes. Ball game. Jason Kipnis with a walk-off home run to right. The Indians have their fifth walk-off win, their third via the home run. And that was the walk-off win over the Royals this pack week, past week. Credit to WTAM and Cleveland. Zach, I played that for you. Not really has anything to do with our next conversation, just because anything, anytime I can rub Jason Kipnis and his 
we are all kittenesses in your face. Well, I mean, it I, did, I have to. He did it at a great time. Tenth inning, coming out of a two and a two and a half hour long rain delay, in which I left, stopped watching. So I mean, it he he did it at a good time. Yeah, if you were dedicated enough to stay there for all that, congrats to you because you got to be within, we'll call it five games for me to be that dedicated. Yeah, to that. that that is. That, that'll be my standard. I, I refuse to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay if you're more than five games back. Yes, that's a very good point. But it's our time of the year. Training camp is arriving. Well, not for a couple more months, but... We're, uh, what, less than 70, 70 days away from week one? I saw it was like 10 weeks or like yeah, NFL it, updates tweeted out something like 10 weeks from this weekend coming up. Very exciting. Oh, I can't wait. Here, hold on. I have this saved in my searches days until September 8th. 73 days. Is this September 8th? Yeah, September 8th is week one. Is that Brian's birthday? I think so. Happy birthday, Brian. I think it is. It's either the 8th or the 9th. I'll look it up. <laughs> He won't listen. How do you not know your he father's he birthday? It's one of those two days. He won't. Look, he won't look it up. I'll just look at Facebook. That's always the answer. Yeah, Facebook does save my save my ass with a lot of things. Oh, did you notice we also got invites to a uh, five year high school reunion? That's how old we are. I didn't even check. I have zero interest in going. Yeah. Well, I might check it out. I might just go and see how. It's one of those things where you just you go see how other people are doing, not so much as showing what you're doing. Uh, because fair. there are some characters that I need to catch up on. Because yes, <laughs> I I pay attention to a certain few, and it is there's one it's in, something. There's one in particular that I really want to get reunited with. A couple other people I actually wouldn't mind connecting. Here's with, the thing: but... I think I could guess it if I no, went I, out and said it too. Yeah, no, one percent you could guess who I'm talking about. <laughs> I haven't seen them. There's, in... a, there's a couple. Okay, there's two I'm thinking of, but we'll get to that. Uh, at a different time. We got to talk about this football team right now. So there's really not a whole lot. I mean, the only content you're getting is you're watching Baker Mayfield work out with Mark Wahlberg. Like that's that's just a part of the year we're in right now. That's quality content. We got teased for about a week there with mandatory minicamp. Then we get the building of the Browns this week. That was a good show. Great content. And now you're in that little bit of a law until training camp comes. And then when that hits... You're full football mode. Like, you're in. You're sucked in. You kind of forget about baseball because that's the start. It's like the tail end of the deadline, so you're definitely paying attention there. But you almost forget that at the turn, you're getting ready for 40-man rosters starting up. And you come back to the Indians at some point, you're like, wait, they're already up? Who's this? <laughs> well, see, Now, we know who they are, but the average person might not. Well, see, it's the Indians, the schedule is favorable. The Indians are playing bad teams, so the Indians are doing well. Well, we have this break in Browns football. I mean, if that's what you got to look forward to, I guess. I need to look forward to something. I mean, I got I got Indians playing decent, and I got my uh, German women's national football or soccer team, foosball, as they call it in Germany. Oh, uh, yeah, in let, Deutschland. Let me know how that works out for you. Uh, they should beat Sweden, I think. So one of the things that I teased coming into the segment that's not getting talked about enough is the defensive side of the ball for the Browns. And, you know, all the media is covering Odell Beckham, um, Duke Johnson and his drama, obviously Baker Mayfield, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, down the line, bunch of characters on that side of the ball, and rightfully so. 
But this defensive side of the ball is going to be very, very interesting to watch this year. A lot of it because we have a lot of new faces. And I say this because one of the biggest issues this Browns team has suffered from, oh, I want to go back about five years, is stopping the run. It just has not been possible with the unit they've had. They've been under, under manned on the front seven for as long as I can remember. We're starting guys that are just coming up off the streets in the summer and they get put in. Like, like, guys I'm thinking of, obviously he didn't come off the streets, but I'm just thinking of names you didn't really expect to see in a starting front seven. This game, guys like Jamie Meter, people like that that were starting on a defensive line the past couple of years. So when I think of bad defensive ends, my mind always goes to Sean Rogers. <laughs> it wasn't bad. He wasn't good. He wasn't great, but he was. He wasn't bad. He he had his. He had his gap, baby. He had his like five foot radius. He wasn't moving from there, but you weren't going through that gap. That, Remi- that was it. Reminds me a little bit of somebody else, but not. <laughs> Sheldon Richardson is a key addition to this Browns defense, right then in the middle. A guy that's going to be paired with Larry Ogunjobi, who hopefully is going to buck that trend for the Browns this year. Hopefully get this team down into at least inside of a top 15 defense stopping the run. That's what you can hope for. I wouldn't necessarily expect right away. And especially with the teams that they face on the schedule that tend to be a little bit more run heavy. Might have to caution your expectations on that. But the middle is going to be clogged up pretty well with those two guys in there. And then obviously on the end, you're adding Olivier Vernon to become one of the best pass rushing duos you're going to find out there at your end spots between him and Miles Garrett. Yeah, I'm curious to see what what offenses are gonna do. Like you're gonna have to just leave a tight end to just Who are you doubling? Pick one. Because rightfully your first thought goes to Miles. Whoever's playing left. But like when, whoever whoever's playing the on the left side of the quarterback. Right. So but you can when, see it coming. Whenever Olivier's healthy, one of the top tw- I I'm gonna go as far as top twelve pass rushers in the league. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. No, not at all. Like, barely played the past two years, and I think he had six sacks in both seasons. That's deadly. Yeah. No, it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Then you go to your linebacker spot. A lot of names we can rotate through here. Now, there was tons of trade rumors surrounding Joe Schobert, but it looks like he's heading into the season as one of the captains of that defense. I'm okay with it. I know people have a lot of concerns about his run-stopping ability which I guess is a fair argument to have. I believe it's not necessarily because of his his physical ability. It's more of dealing with defensive lines that were getting blown up so bad that he's having to hold on to running backs as they're plunging through five, six yards of carry. Right. I don't necessarily put it all on him. Now, a key thing is can you get a full season out of Christian Kirksey? I'd say that's not likely. He's going to get hurt at some point. Unfortunately, he's just been glass the past couple of years. But those two guys in the center right there, or at least that that section of the linebacking court, depending on how they want to stack it up, pretty decent. You can tag team that with a guy like Jannard Avery. And honestly, too, I, I'm excited to kind of see uh, Taki Taki get, get yeah. some reps. Yeah, Taki Taki. And then you cannot forget about Mac. No. No, it's... This defense has me excited. Last year, our defense was not good, but they turned the ball over. You were holding on to your butts the entire game. They, Yeah, and but they were able to force turnovers, right. which made it appear like they were a good defense. 
statistically, they were not that good of a defense as far as yards given up and that kind of thing. But with the amount of turnovers, they played well, as in they kept their offense in a position where they could within striking distance. And one of the biggest things, too, is you're improving in your secondary. So you realistically go four deep that you're comfortable with and a fifth in Phillip Gaines. That's not a bad nickel guy. I mean, you have Denzel Ward. You just picked up Greedy Williams. I'm going to say it. Steal the draft getting a guy in the second round. Oh, I don't I don't care what anybody says. Definitely. There's no reason why that guy should have fell. And then you also have TJ Carey and Terrence Mitchell. That's a pretty solid court right there. Terrence Mitchell is one of our better courts cornerbacks last year before he broke his arm and he's going to get bumped down to number three exactly that that is what is exciting is that we are we had a veteran guy that played very well and then we drafted so well that he then gets bumped down a little bit that is very exciting and something that we have not seen with the browns and then going on the back end of that defense you have demarius randall coming back for his fifth year on his rookie deal, a guy that the Browns are going to have to pay at some point. He, they they got to keep him. I'm firm on that belief. And then you also get the tag team, that other safety spot, with a guy, oh, I don't know, some name, Morgan Burnett. I'm sure you've heard of his name before. Pretty solid veteran. Guy that's going to rotate in pretty well with this team. And then you have Sheldrick Redwine. Sheesh. <laughs> the rookie out of Miami. Now, famously known for at least insinuate or bringing in birthing, I guess that's a good way to say it, the turnover chain down there. So you have a ball hawking safety and then just an all-around solid safety with Demarius Randall back there. Depending on, I mean, whoever's in the rotation, but still, a rotation of three guys in those two spots, I'm solid with any of them. Could we see a turnover chain of sorts make its way up to Cleveland? Uh... Oh, please, I don't think so. please have it be a gold diamond brownie the elf. <laughs> I need you that. Remember when? Okay, I need that in my life. Obviously, Josh Gordon, a lot of bad things in his time here, but when he was whipping out the sunglasses after touchdowns <laughs> and whatnot, some amazing swag, I might say. Yes. Um, I wanted to get deeper into what to expect from this entire secondary as a whole. We we've noted about the turnovers that have been. Uh, we're in high, high, uh, high frequency last year, and especially against top t- tier teams. I think we got three off of Ben in Week One. Yeah, and yeah, yep. So we have we kept most of the good core. We added on top of it. What are we expecting from those guys that are maybe newer, like maybe a Redwine or a Gree Williams? How are they going to fit in, and how are they going to contribute right away? Because they're going to be asked to do a lot right away as rookies. I mean, I'm honestly kind of more looking for the, as the older guy, you're going to have to kind of mentor them and do it in an escalated manner. You have to do it quickly because it's not like some other positions where you can where you get a year to try and uh, learn the pace of play, the NFL, and how, how much quicker the game is. I mean, you're going to be put in there. And you're gonna have to prove yourself. So I, I think it leads for potential. I think that they can make some names for themselves. They should. I was watching some of those building of the Browns and whatnot, and I, I came across across this creature. And I think this is a debate we could use about five minutes on who is the more intriguing. Now let's say they brought Hard Knocks back for a second year. Who's the more intriguing assistant coach, Bob Wiley or Stump Mitchell? If you have not seen a photo of Stump Mitchell. 
who coaches the running backs for the Browns, I implore you to look him up because, my goodness, what a photo he makes. I mean, that's some salt and pepper going on. You got pepper in the hair and salt in the beard. It's a beautiful combination. Okay, I want to see Stump Mitchell's facial hair and head hair on Bob Wiley's hut gut. If you combine those two, and then you have probably the best assistant coach ever, just based <laughs> off of that. I didn't even know this guy existed. I honestly, I didn't fully pay attention to the lower levels of uh, Freddie's staff when he put them together, but Stump is a figurine. Well, like, how can you is, not love the name Stump? I mean, just imagine he's going to have like, you know, ice crystals forming on that thing in December, Ooh. playing up in Cleveland. Yep. Oh, man. I think it's going to be beautiful. I wanted to get into, real quick, the... Obviously, we've touched about the skill guys, especially the wide receivers, and we need to talk about the depth at wide receiver because I don't think that's going to get touched on enough by national media and pundits and whatnot. You're going to hear about Jarvis Landry. You're going to hear about Odell. You might even hear about Rashad Higgins. But... What about the rest of this wide receiver core intrigues you? Because there's one name that's being missed over and over again that if he steps up, I mean, you're talking about a four, you can go four wide and just dominate defenses. Antonio Callaway is just going to run by everyone, in well, my opinion. Yeah, he, at least he should, you'd think. So, I mean, your defenses aren't, you don't have enough men on the field to pay attention to both Odell and Jarvis, and Antonio. You don't have enough. You don't have enough men to do that. And here's the thing: we're not even considering David Njoku in all this. Not at all. I mean, Njoku's biggest thing is his inability to catch the ball at times. I think he improved that a little bit last year. He he did improve that last play year against from, the Bengals yes. at home. Crucial. Yes. But at the same time, there have also been a few different times where he doesn't have a defender within a three-yard radius of him, ball hits him in the hands, and then goes through his hands. He has had his issues with the drops. So I, that's my biggest and honestly my only critique with Njoku is if, we, if he can be sure-handed, I don't know how you stop this offense. He's not much of a blocker either. So, I mean... That's why you have multiple tight ends on this roster right. too. You you tend to fill out your your uh, your roster because of that, and you got to adjust for that. But I, I I'm thinking of just all the depth this team has. I mean, even realistically, if this team trades Duke Johnson before the season starts, I mean, I've been seeing clips even in that building of the Browns, Donchell Hilliard, who's supposedly that next running back in line, just mossing dudes out of the backfield. Almost, he's almost built the same way as Duke Johnson in terms of being the pass-catching running back. I mean, if he, if he can be a Duke for eight games, get rid of Duke. It's just I don't know if he can be a Duke. Because we, we, that's almost like a that's a one-season outlook though. Because I mean, again, yes, you only yeah. have Kareem Hunt for one season technically under contract. I mean, this is fair, but I'm assuming if the Browns do. Very good things this year. Kareem Hunt doesn't do bad things off the field and does good things on the field that he will want to then stay. Also, I feel like he kind of owes it to 
Dorsey for giving him a shot. So I, I feel like if everything goes according to plan, he will be back. And I don't think we'd have an issue ponying up and paying for him either. That's a good point. Obviously, in football, it's not as likely to see trades, and especially towards the uh, trade deadline. It's just not as uh, typical for the sport, although we, we have seen a little bit more in the past couple of years. Is there any type of position, is there anything you're looking at on this roster and say, boy, if we go and upgrade this, watch out? Honestly, it, as of right now, I can't say anything uh, definite because I don't know how he's going to play. But Austin Corbett at right guard is going to be the biggest biggest question mark, I think. I, I agree with you. I also think it wouldn't be a bad decision. I know Trent Williams, the long, long redskin offensive tackle down there for D.C., is disgruntled over some medical stuff that, with the team and whatnot once out. That's a prime candidate that I understand you have Robinson for another year. You have Hubbard on that. I think it was a three- or four-year deal for him. Boy, like, you can trade for Williams, and that's your left tackle for the next multiple. I mean, as through Baker's contract. Yeah. Pretty solid guy. I mean, I, I think if anything, it's going to be offensive line because that's the one X factor with this team. We just don't know yet. Oh, and that's also the position that can hurt you because obviously we know we have guys that can run the ball. We have a guy that can throw the ball, and we have guys that can catch the ball. It's you. We just need guys that can keep – Keep the defense off of Baker long enough for him to does what do what he does. Now, last year you had a pretty solid core in terms of the interior of your offensive line between J.C. Treader, Kevin Zeitler, and Joel Batonio. Solid inside. Nothing was coming up the middle to disrupt Baker. It was always going to depend on those tackles between Hubbard and Robinson, or R.I.P. Desmond Harrison. But if he, if he would have been in that spot... It it was like you were on pins and needles seeing how those guys were going to perform. The stats backed it up. I think Baker was one of the least hit quarterbacks in all of the league after week seven, something like that. No, I know after week eight, he he didn't get knocked down for the first six games after the uh, after Black Monday. <laughs> I don't think I'm pretty sure I saw that stat. He didn't get knocked down for like the first like six, five, six weeks. Right. So I mean, and, I I think honestly too that comes down to, okay, Freddie being a running backs coach to them being elevated to offensive coordinator. Obviously, he knew saw something that wasn't happening, fixed that problem, and then our offense just got so much better, so much better. And you did that with again two very, very unproven tackles. Mm-hmm. Now you take out Kevin Zeitler out of that equation, you're down to two guys you can honestly trust there with Batonio and J.C. Treader. It's going to be interesting to see if they can run this back with this offensive line, essentially what they're doing, minus Zeitler, and seeing can they keep up that production heading into this season in terms of keeping guys off of Baker Mayfield. Because we've seen, if you keep him clean in that pocket, he's going to destroy any defense you have out there. Even if he does have to run a little bit outside the pocket, we've seen his accuracy. Yeah, he has mobility on the run. Absolutely. It's can you keep him clean in the pocket? That's going to be the biggest question mark heading into the season. It gets talked about a little bit, but I don't think it gets talked about enough. No, not at all. I mean, everyone's 
I mean, kind of rightfully so with the offense, with the addition of Odell. Like, obviously you're going to talk about that. And then Duke has made a story out of himself. So, I mean, you have to cover that. So, I mean, there's not really a whole lot else you can talk about. And it's kind of the same reason why the de- why our defense is not getting talked about a whole lot either. So, I mean, that just, this offensive line is, as we've said, the weakest link in the chain. Right, but they're, they're going to be storylines once the season talks because their play is going to dictate that. Yeah. Clearly yeah, no, with well, the defense, it's going to be that way. And this offensive line, if he stays clean, we saw it. People in the broadcast were highlighting it, that he had not, or he was the least touched quarterback in all of the league from like week seven on. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Their play will dictate how that goes. But one of the biggest things you'll ever hear about the offensive line is if you're not heard of, that's typically a good thing. Yep. But that's a good thing to end the show on. Of course, there's not a lot to talk about in the Browns world, but you try to make it happen up until training camp. We cannot wait for that to start. I know tickets are going astronomically through the roof. People were pissed off about how fast tickets for those two days were going. Two minutes. Two minutes they sold out for the first section of days. How many, do you know how many were released? How many tickets? No, I don't. But I think it was like seven days worth. Could be. But there's also another seven days coming up they're going to release, and I'm sure people are going to have a field day with that. I mean, I'm going to imagine minimum a thousand. You can probably get a thousand spectators into the. I've never been to Berea, but I'm sure. Neither have I. Okay, so just call it lowball at a thousand. And then over seven days, so that's 7,000 tickets. Watch training camp. Yeah. Camp. And shorts and helmets. Yep. That's where we're at. I mean, I I get it. People that do these tests and whatnot say the Browns have the 26th best fan base. Not according. I I, I, know, mean, I know what you're referring to, but also according to that Twitter poll that was ran two months ago, the Browns had the best fan base. Okay, you can thank Chris McNeil for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but for the Browns and for the Indians trying to make a run into the All-Star break, we will probably see you at the back half of that break heading into the second half of the season. But for Zach... This is CB. We hope you enjoyed episode 17, and we will see you back here for episode 18 after the break. Take care.